Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Welcome back, guys and gals, to the Brian Nichols Show. Missed you. Hope you had a fantastic week. And here we are getting ready to, to finish off your week strong. Today, I am joined by California native and just graduated economics student from the University of Arizona, John Chang. Now, you might be familiar with John's work over at Otters Talking Politics, uh, where he serves as a co-host and where I myself um, actually joined him and uh, and his show with Michaela back in the, the summer here of 2018. Uh, so John has worked for a number of, of uh, organizations from the Civil Rights Group, the Firearms Policy Coalition, uh, amongst others. And, and with that, today we have John on the show to talk about some of the work he's done behind the scenes, uh, looking at different ideas for policy, uh, but then also to discuss some current events and obviously introduce him and his show, Otters Talking Politics, to the Brian Nichols Show audience. So with that, John Chang, welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. Hey there, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, before we begin, I have a, a little bit of a, an issue that I wanted to talk to you about before we really get into the more heady stuff. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> uh, the thing is, is I haven't seen any uh, royalty checks from being the first voice of the Brian Nichols show from your introduction. That's weird because, you know, I, I thought I sent them on on the way. And for those of you who aren't aware, John is the first voice you hear in the new intro for the Brian Nichols show. Um, which I, I, I very, um, inconspicuously stole essentially from our interview there back this summer. So John, I, I appreciate you being a good sport. Let me use, uh, lose your, use your likeness for the, the, the new intro there for the Brian Nichols show. Yeah. Yeah. It's no problem. Just, uh, make sure that check is in the mail. Uh, <laughs> uh no real hurry, but I do need to get that. Oh, absolutely. I'll make sure I, I double check with my bank. It must've gotten lost somewhere among, amongst the, uh, the mails. I mean, that's the U S postal service. So what do you expect? Honestly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's government for you. So I, I guess uh, I guess we got them to blame. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much, man, for uh, for taking some time to join me today. And obviously you're all the way out there in uh, in California. So um, the, the time change always makes things a little different. Not time change, just the uh, the three hours behind here over in the East Coast. So uh, with that, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join me today. Um, and with that, what I want to, to first and foremost uh, do is introduce you to my audience. So um, folks obviously got the chance to, to hear me on your, your network back there in the, the summertime. Um, but I would want to take the chance to really get, uh, your perspective as to number one, your show, um, your kind of, I guess, coming into the political movement, uh, where you stand on some certain issues, maybe how you self-identify as uh, a person in politics. Um, so with that John Chang, the floor is yours. 
great. Uh, well, my name is John Chang, like you just heard. I am one of the hosts of the political podcast, Otters Talking Politics. It is a libertarian philosophy podcast where we take the news of the week, boil it down to its core issue, and then discuss the libertarian perspective behind that issue. Um, I host it with my girlfriend, Michaela, um, who is a law student in Santa Clara University. Um, we do it on a weekly basis when we can. We've been uh, a little bit busy these last couple months, but uh, we try to do that regularly. As for how I came into the libertarian ideology, uh, because I'm not as much associated with the, the party as much as the ideology, um, the short answer is, is I've always been a libertarian. Uh, the long answer is, is growing up, I had a core belief that if it didn't hurt anybody, if you weren't hurting anybody, why should it be illegal? Why should anyone try to stop you? Um, over the years, that kind of grew and developed, uh, but it really came into fruition or I really started labeling myself uh, libertarian uh, my senior year of high school in 2012. Uh, what happened at my high school is that they take all the seniors, all the people who can vote, uh, they take them to this auditorium and they have representatives from each one of the local parties or the parties that want to participate come and talk about their party's ideology. And so, you know, they had the Democrat Party, uh, they had the Republican Party, of course. Uh, then they actually had the Libertarian Party and the Green Party. And so up until this point, I had believed that I was a Democrat, I was a liberal, you know, I had told my dad, I, I think it's, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, um, you should be allowed to do it. And he said, oh, well, that's what a liberal is. That's what a Democrat is. And so I said, oh, I'm a Democrat. Uh, but anyways, the Republican uh, person got up, spoke their piece about conservative economics and and conservative values. And then the Democrat came up and spoke their values. And then the Libertarian came up and <laughs> he uh, he was very excitable. And he was probably what most people think when he when they think a Libertarian. He was a little bit uh, less well dressed than the other ones. But he came up and uh, what he had actually said, the first thing he said was, I am the party of Ron Paul. Uh, and when he said that, my ears perked up a little bit because in 2008, even though I wasn't very uh, politically uh, interested, I had heard a couple debates of Ron Paul during the Republican primaries, during the presidential primaries. Uh, and I really, you know, he struck a chord. Ron Paul struck a chord just like he did with most libertarians. And so when this libertarian... Um, came forward and said he was the actual party of Ron Paul. Uh, it really interested me. He went through his whole spiel where he said, um, we believe that taxation is theft. We think that it's as long as you're not hurting anybody, uh, you should be allowed to do it. And so as soon as he said that, I was on board, uh, signed up for uh, the Libertarian Party preference, and then later on in college, the Libertarian Party. Um, and that's all story wrote, I guess, essentially. <laughs> It's it's funny because most of the people on my show start out in the more conservative camp and then they slowly, you know, weasel their way towards the libertarian ideology through just learning more and more about what it is to be a libertarian, which, as you were mentioning, was was basically don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff. Um, and I, I find it interesting that you actually came from the the other side of the aisle. You were more in the uh, the left side of the camp where I guess you you attach the ideas of of not hurting people as 
is more of a liberal idea. What do you think it was besides your dad basically telling you that that led you to believe that being a liberal was not hurting people? Um, so the first time I was told that was 2008 uh, with uh, Obama's first uh, pre- presidential run. Uh, my dad told me that. And so I kind of just believed it. Uh, but then, uh, as you know, there was the big um, uh, gay marriage uh, push in 2010. And so that really, that whole controversy and how I saw that the Democratic Party was uh, more on the side of for gay marriage, for that kind of thing, I said, at least from a government perspective, I said, you know, they're not hurting anybody. They're adults. They're consenting adults. They should be allowed to do so. And so I, I kind of just grew up thinking that libertarian ideals were the Democratic Party's ideals. And it wasn't really until until college, until, you know, I got my economics degree and I kind of, I guess, wisened up a little bit that I saw that at least on the economic side of things, for the most part, they are not not uh, fully correct or their <laughs> the thought process is not fully substantiated by uh, evidence. So it makes me curious because obviously, you know, this this show reaches out to a great number of, of libertarians in general, but um, it also does reach a, a number of socialists and, and communists and and people who are more, you know, just straight down the middle. I wouldn't say necessarily centrist, but more just independent in their thinking. And I find that a lot of times they don't grasp onto the libertarian messaging because either number one, um, they just they get turned off by the the greater movement because of the more uh, radical and loud voices within the the movement. Or number two, they just don't understand the actual philosophy. They look at libertarianism as this this straw man caricature that's been built up by not only those in the the left side of the camp, but also those on the right. So, you know, from the left, obviously, were the the taxation is theft crazies who don't believe in any social structure. Um, but then the right hand side were it were basically libertine, where we have no morals, no social, uh, no social values whatsoever. Um, and this caricature is is then put on top of the libertarian uh, movement, and then you have <laughs> these these louder voices in the libertarian movement who basically justify those ideas um, in, in their their speech because they're more of the the the, the radical and cap type of, of folks within the movement. Which don't get me wrong, they have their place in the movement. I just don't necessarily believe that they're as valuable in actually spreading the ideas beyond the confines of our little libertarian echo chamber that gets, what, 3% of the vote every presidential election, if we're lucky. Um, so what do you think would would have brought you to libertarianism earlier? Would it have been having that guy you know, speak to you as a libertarian saying, this is what it means to be a libertarian? Or do you think maybe the libertarian... I don't want to say necessarily the Libertarian Party, but let's let's because they are the only real embodiment of libertarian ideals on a national platform. With the Libertarian Party, should they have done a better job in trying to reach you as a young voter prior to um, you know you're actually seeing a Libertarian candidate? I would say yes. I you know it's it's a there's so many variables in in, in convincing someone of an ideology or or expressing your ideology, but I would say when it comes to Speaking to the youth, speaking to high schoolers, let's say specifically, um, I don't see a lot of foundation from the Libertarian Party. And this is someone is speaking that's only really followed the LP for three years and then really only uh, extremely followed them for a year. But from what I can see and what I can tell is that there's not a lot of Libertarians going out there and becoming teachers or 
becoming heavily involved in young people's lives in one way or another. And in fact, there's actually someone, um, I guess if I can name drop, her name is uh, Dorit, and she's the creator of Little Libertarians, um, it, which is a child's book who packages libertarian ideals uh, in ways that children can understand them. And I think if the Libertarian Party uh, or the Libertarian ideology as a broader uh, spectrum really wanted to become a stronger party, maybe not in four years or eight years, but it, within a generation, they would start creating teaching programs, creating entertainment content that has a libertarian undertone uh, and teaches children a little bit about liberty perspective. So mm -hmm. I think that might be one of the biggest things for the child side of things that the LP could do. But then for the other side, I think you know, when you're the underdog, when you're behind uh, in a game, you've got to bat a thousand. And uh, right now, the Libertarian Party does not does not bat a thousand when it comes to conversations, interviews, discussions, those types of things. I think that's an understatement, <laughs> honestly. Um, and and I mean, I, without my show, I don't want to be a dead horse. I've obviously been uh, very, I don't say against, but I've been very critical of LP National. I think um, they. They don't do enough trying to promote the the small, real victories within local communities than they could. Um, I think that's a, that's going to be a, the better way to win people over. Uh, but not to rehash arguments I've had in this show before. And obviously, I think you're you're very much in the same camp. Um, but I, I I'm right there on board. I think the sooner we're able to start changing hearts and minds and actually helping educate people instead of telling them why they're wrong, <laughs> I think that will be. The, the real turning point we'll see actually bringing people into the movement. And, uh, you know, I just actually was reading an article today on time.com. Um, believe it or not, time actually does have some good pieces of, of literature every now and then. And this article I was reading was discussing, um, about how young voters are, are not leaving the greater GOP in the numbers that it was anticipated they were going to be back in 2014 and 2016, respectively. And actually, young voters have increased in the GOP. I think it was from 26% to 29% relative to the projections. And they said one of the major reasons behind that was because these young voters are small L libertarian in their beliefs. So it's it's right there in front of us. There is a goldmine of opportunity for the LP National to reach out to those young voters and say, hey, you're a libertarian. You really are. And you're looking at the GOP as the means of trying to actually promote your values. Don't. Look at us. We actually are a libertarian party that believes in not hurting people and not taking people's stuff. The very stuff that you agree with and you're, you're believing in, and promoting as a young, a young person in America. Don't go to this, this old, you know, 200 year old uh, political party that's going to be dying out in the next 50 years. Come with us. We're the growing party. We're going to be the real alternative. But then we have to actually have the, the the LP try to market to these people. And and that just, again, whole conversation that's been had before in the show, which I don't want to rehash. But what I do want to discuss today, and the real reason for having you in the show, John, was to discuss a very interesting policy um, paper that you shot my way that you had been working on. And, and essentially, and I don't want to build a straw man for your own paper, but it is the concept of the fourth branch of government as a means of trying to help create a new voice for those folks within the non-binary political world who are outside of the Republican and Democratic establishments to actually have a voice on very important policy matters. Now, before I frame your entire paper entirely wrong, 
I wanted to give you the platform here to give us the the elevator pitch as to what the fourth branch of government is in your own words, and then the value you'd see in actually enacting a fourth branch of government for policy. Yeah, and that was actually a pretty pretty good summation of it. Uh, Boom. Of it, uh, myself, see that, but, that uh, political science that political science degree didn't go to waste. Just just so yeah. we're all <laughs> we're we're on the same page here. Yeah, it's almost like you studied it or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the elevator pitch, if I can add on to it, uh, is, you know, we have a two-party system in America. Um, and on top of that, I firmly believe that we actually have to overcome a physiological, psychological barrier when it comes to choice. A lot of people, when they're given three choices, uh, let's take fruit, for example. If I say, do you want an orange, an apple, or a banana? Um, unless you really want one of those choices, you tend to, as your first step, throw one of them away. Throw away the one you least want or you think is going to be least beneficial for you. So when you look at the way we vote now, the way that our two-party system is vote, uh, set up now, there's no way anybody's going to pick the Libertarian Party just because they're the first ones to be thrown away, either because of ideology or because of practicality in the sense that there's the whole concept of throwing away your vote. Um, so this was kind of a solution to work around or work in a system that would better benefit and not discriminate against uh, discrepancies in ideology uh, so that you could have conservative libertarians, you could have liberal libertarians, you could have communists really because uh, it's supposed to not discriminate against any ideology. But you can have people differentiate from the two-party system, from the Democrats, from the Republicans, and therefore have a country, a system of government that better represents the people's wants and beliefs. So what is, in layman's terms, this fourth branch of government? What, what would it look like? What would it be comprised of? And how would people actually have a, a say in this, this fourth branch? So the fourth branch of government, its biggest power is the power to say no. It's the power to veto. Uh, it would be the final line of defense against any bill or policy or really anything the federal government, because you could do this on a smaller scale, but it would be, uh, best, it would best improve the federal government. Uh, but basically what it is is that, uh, whoever's in power in the fourth branch of government, uh, would be allowed to veto any bill or any policy. Uh, and the way that you get into power with the, this fourth branch of government is by having a large supporter base. Um, the larger your supporter base, the more likely you are to become the leader of this branch of government. Uh, and the way that you become a leader for this branch of government is through a lottery system based on your supporter base. And so your likelihood of winning the lottery system to become the fourth branch of government to get into power to have that final veto is based on the percentage of supporters you have against the total voting population. And so what this does is it allows for people to have minute differences in their belief system, right? You could be a conservative who believes in gay marriage, or you could be a liberal who believes in the Second Amendment. And so that way you don't have to be a part of this monolithic two-party system. You can instead be part of the liberal 2A institute or the conservative for gay marriage institute 
and still get your voice heard and get the discrepancies in your voice or in your opinion heard. So I, I think I get it. The question I have, and, and I've been working through this a little bit too, just you know, picking some notes up and stuff. The question I have is, how would this, how would this be practical or pragmatic in 2018 going into 2019, where we already have a hyper-partisan, hyper-polarized electorate? So let's take, for example, um, the the Kavanaugh nomination back in October and and September. Um, essentially, you had a a super super polarizing issue. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh being nominated to the Supreme Court as a conservative-ish justice. Um, sexual assault allegations from the 1980s arise. Uh, nobody can substantiate these claims um, to the point that it's a he said, she said. There's no evidence to back it up. But people get super, super uh, ingrained in the pro-Kavanaugh or pro-Blazy Ford camps. And then it's just partisan screaming back and forth. And then you have the Senate uh, Judicial Committee, which would overhear the Kavanaugh hearings and then decide whether or not to advance his his vote to um, vote to the Senate. And then obviously with the Senate voting, uh, it was again, super hyper-partisan, super po- uh, politicized. And it led to people, uh, it started this, this whole clamoring of, well, the Senate doesn't re- represent us. It's Senate does not represent the democracy because you have states like North Dakota and Utah who have the exact same number of U.S. senators as states like California and New York, despite having like a, a not, I don't know, like a tenth of the population. So my question to you, and and you might not have an answer, that's fine. But what what do you see coming from those folks who were saying we need to get rid of the U.S. Senate because it's not representing the vote, the will of the people? To then now you are having these essentially their their think tanks who are representing the will of their select members relative to the population of the, the the overall electorate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess I should say that uh, this was really an attempt at just uh, proposing a solution to an issue that I saw at the current time, because I think that's another thing the libertarian movement um, has issues expressing or, or doing is is saying what their solution is. We're uh, really good oh, at saying, absolutely. oh, well, here's <laughs> the issue with this, here's that. Uh, but we don't ever... Not, not ever. I shouldn't say don't ever, but we have a difficult time proposing our own solutions. Rarely do we propose our own solutions. Usually we point our finger and say, that's bad. And they say, how do you fix it? And you say, that's bad. Free market fix. And, and that's where the conversation usually ends. And we need to be able to, to articulately convey an alternative, um, without just resorting to, well, the free market will fix it. And I'll be the first who would raise my hand and say, I've been guilty of saying, well, the free market will fix it. But the reality is the free market's not always going to fix things. Um, there, there comes a time where we have to, to approach politics in a pragmatic sense. And that, I think that's what you're doing here is you're trying to find a pragmatic solution to a very real problem. And I think looking at what you're proposing is very much in line to another proposal I've seen come up in recent, uh, well, I say months just because it's more more um, topical with the elections happening in November, um, but also in the past few years was the the ranked choice voting uh, movement, which really the idea was really it is the core fundamental belief of it was around the ideas that you're presenting, saying the whole concept of throwing your vote away. Get, let's get rid of that excuse. Let's create a system where 
people no longer feel that their vote for a third party is a wasted vote. Let's create a, a solution to a problem rather than just taking whatever the issue is and pointing at and saying it's bad. So, um, I mean, are you are you familiar too much with like ranked choice voting by chance? Yeah, no, I, I know a good amount of, about ranked choice voting. Uh, it's not my my first choice when it comes to changing how we vote, but it's definitely better than what we have. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the reason I was asking because like um I I'm a huge proponent of it. I think I think it could easily be like a real substantive like win for not just libertarians but but people who don't want that duopoly. They don't want this binary world of Republican and Democrat, even if they're more identified as independents. I mean, for example, I'm from New York State, um, where we have fusion voting, where you literally will have, you know, seven different third parties on the ballot. And um, and you can go ahead and pretty much cast your vote for whatever one you want. And unfortunately, most times the third party candidates are actually just, you know, the, the top candidates. So like, let's say, Andrew Cuomo ran for New York State governor to Democrat. He'd also run as a working families member uh, party line. He could also run as, you know, the socialist party line, whatever he would want to run to as long as he got the blessing of the party. Um, so to see a world where that would go away and then have a situation where these real alternative candidates could have a voice and actually have like electoral weight for me seems like a a brighter future at the very least. But let's let's kind of weigh a little bit and I didn't mean to take the the show this way a little bit, but here we are. Um, your your fourth branch solution versus a ranked choice voting solution. What do you kind of see as the the pros, the cons with your ideas versus maybe an idea of just going through the ballot box? Yeah, so ranked choice voting definitely is a beneficial thing, and and the fourth branch of government idea is not necessarily supposed to be instead of. It's supposed to be. While this fight is going on, because changing the way we vote is much more difficult, in my opinion, than uh, necessarily adding something on or changing the way we use a certain power like the veto power. Um, so it's not to, meant to replace. It's just another idea that says, hey, here's this way that we can uh, add on to our system that improves it. And I think what it has over even ranked choice voting or, or any type of improved kind of voting that, uh, you would, uh, you would see is that it takes a lot of the anxieties, the pressures, the political climate that we see around voting around the other branches of government and kind of car- compartmentalizes it into this fourth branch, into this area where it doesn't necessarily or outwardly affect our daily lives. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so, John, obviously, there's a lot to discuss with. Um, there's a lot to discuss here with the fourth branch of government uh, concept that you've been bringing up, and I think there, there's so much to to dig into and really discuss. So, I think what you and I need to do off the scenes, uh, off the air here, is we're going to work on some stuff behind the scenes, dig up some some documents and, and some some articles we can we can reference and, and kind of play this out to uh, to its end game. I think it's a, fina- uh, a fin- uh, fascinating. That's the word I was looking for. Fascinating, fascinating, Watson. It's a fascinating idea, um, and it's a novel idea. I've never heard this presented before, um, and and you're definitely doing what libertarians need to do, and that's present solutions versus just plugging your fingers in your ears and screaming the free market slash no government. So for that, thank you for, for bringing this up as an alternative. And, and you and I are going to work on this a little bit and see, you know, what we can maybe tangibly build, uh, behind the scenes. But with that, 
Um, because we are running a little short on time, I did want to bring up an, uh, a topic that she is very, very popular. Um, and I, I don't know if it's good or bad, um, but if you have not been living under a rock, I'm sure most folks are familiar with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she has been um, the butt of many jokes, and, and many of these jokes are very well-deserved, don't get me wrong. The problem is, I feel that these jokes are actually going to be more of a detriment to the overall uh, goal of said folks making the jokes. They're not going to like actually turn people away from her, they're actually going to make people uh, more in lockstep with her. So I wrote a very polarizing article over at the Libertarian Republic, which will be included in the show notes, which was called Stop Making Fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, for all the folks out there who just read headlines, I got lambasted. They're like, well, she's going to say stupid things, so I'm going to call her an idiot. I'm like, that wasn't the point of the article, but thank you for proving the point that like 75% of the electorate is just absolutely stupid. But to go to the, the central point of the article was I was basically saying, Lover or hater, she gets it. And the it that she gets is that she can appeal to people's basic needs. And the people who she's appealing to are the people who will cast their votes for her. Because they don't care about her her brilliant tax policies, which it's not brilliant. They don't care that she made some flub about you know speaking with regards to chambers of government versus the branches of government or getting them confused as to what actually are the branches of government. And instead they want to hear that they're going to be taken care of, that their kids are going to be taken care of. And you know what? We like her because we see ourselves in her. And when people start making fun of her, it's like they're making fun of them as voters, as people. And I use the comparison, think to 2015, 2016, and even now, your average Trump voter is in the exact same mindset. If you make fun of Trump, you're making fun of me. If, if, if you label him as a deplorable and you put me in this, this basket of deplorables, well, then I, I'm right there with him. I'm going to take the punches with him. And it's, it's only counterintuitive to the actual goal of these folks trying to, to show what an idiot she is. And like, as tempting as this, I'm just like, folks, stop. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're actually like, falling into her trap. She wants you to do this because then she'll put you on blast on Twitter with 20,000 some odd retweets and she'll make you look like an idiot and then she'll get 15,000 more followers and her base just grows. So that's been my take on this whole uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thing. Maybe I'm just absolutely crazy. John, give me some, some, some perspective that maybe I'm not getting or maybe that I've gotten wrong. No, I, I, I agree with you on, on, on a lot of the points. I think, um, Whenever you ridicule someone or when you mock someone, their ears and their follower ears uh, definitely close. You know, you don't win converts by bashing in their doors, making fun of them and, and threatening them. I mean, you used to be able to do that and it was called Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun, but that was 800 years ago uh, and, and times have changed. and. For the Libertarian Party, uh, like I harped on earlier, is that we have to bat a thousand every time, all the time, with everybody. And the way you win people to your side is by coming with open arms, uh, acknowledging that their issues and their 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 worries are valid issues. Because that's 
that's the thing. When you listen to Bernie Sanders, when you listen to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, they agree with us on a lot of stuff and they get that there are issues in people's lives that are serious, right? Uh, I can't feed my children. Uh, I can't, uh, can't pay my rent. I can't, I can't drive my car because I can't pay for gas. I can't, I can't pay for heat in the winter. I can't pay for air conditioning in the summer. Like these are very real things that people are facing and we're not speaking to it. Right. And they're not even economic or they're not all economic. A lot of them are, uh, but not all of them are economic. You know, there's some concepts like, Hey, when the president of the United States goes on to Twitter or goes on camera and says these things to other countries or says these things about people who I may be part of, I may be Mexican, I may be Chinese, I may be Russian. And he says these things, these derogatory things, I feel bad. And those are all valid positions and valid issues. And so what the socialist branch, the progressive branch, whatever you want to call them, the Ocasio-Cortezes, the Bernie Sanderses have said is your issues and your harms are real. I understand where you're coming from. This is the solution. And government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And their solutions um, prey on the fact that we haven't had good education for about, in my opinion, 80 years now since FDR, arguably. Uh, that we haven't had good education when it comes to economics, when it comes to civics, when it comes to these kinds of things. And so when libertarians or conservatives or anybody who's not part of their group posts some kind of meme or just outright mocks her for her solutions, it doesn't validate her listeners' feelings and actual issues. And what what you want to do if you're really going to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is take it almost news-like perspective and stay stoic, stay factual, be validating to the listeners, her constituencies issues, and then show them why her solutions are wrong in a semi, like semi-scientific, semi-compassionate manner. And there's actually, I, I forget which video it was. It was either when she won the primary or when she, when she won the, uh, the congressional seat. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there was a point in the speech where she said, you know, we need to be able to, show people that we are their neighbor and that we'll be there for them and that we will take care of care of them. And in my head, I immediately was like, that's not a progressive belief. The progressive belief is that the government will take care of people because neighbors won't. She's taking beliefs that the libertarian party has that, that small government people have and is, is twisting them into a, a progressive mindset. And so we need to realize that that's what's happening, that she's using the things that we believe in to push solutions that aren't necessarily valid. She's taking our arguments and she's articulating them in a way that makes it sound easier to accomplish because her answer is just more government. And people have already been trained to look at government as the means of fixing, big air quotes there, fixing these problems through government-led solutions. The problem is instead of libertarians or conservatives or Republicans saying, no, 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 these issues are real, but your solutions are wrong, they say, you're an idiot. You just said 
the, the three branches of government are the three chambers of government. And you said that they were the Senate, the House and the presidency. God, what an idiot she is. God, it's, it's like it's like um, what's that movie with Will Ferrell? Oh, it's like Wedding Crashers. Where, where Will Ferrell, he's Chaz and he's sitting on his mom's couch. He's like, what an idiot. And you're like, good, good. Like that, that's how libertarians and conservatives have approached Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're the what an idiot gif. And the problem is, is that, like you said, that invalidates the other people, the people who are supporting her. It's invalidating their very real concerns. And what we need to do better is, <laughs> here we go, full circle, is to present real solutions, real alternatives, like much like you've done with talking about, well, people feel disenfranchised. Here's a possible solution. Instead of saying, well, that's because the, the two-party system is corrupt and it's evil, meh, free market. You've gone and you've made something that is a real potential solution and you're articulating it and trying to, to bring awareness to it. The Libertarian Party, or just in general, the larger liberty movement has not been successful in presenting these solutions to the people that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is actually reaching out to and then is using to to promote her brand, to promote her big government socialist ideals. And unless we wake up and say, what she's doing is working, then what it's going to be too late before we realize what we're doing isn't working and actually it's moving us backwards. And to the folks in the comment section who can only read a headline – you're part of the problem. I don't care if you like her. I don't care if you if you do think she's an idiot. You just going out your way and saying she's an idiot does nothing at all to, to help promote libertarian or conservative ideals. It makes you look like an idiot. It makes you look pompous. And you're, you're literally doing what she wants you to do. She is showing through you calling her an idiot that she is smarter than you. Because that's part of her plan is to play this victim card and say, look what you've done. You have now alienated a group of potential allies in likely female voters who feel like they are not being heard. And you've turned it now to a situation where you you have a progressive democratic socialist taking that mantle and carrying it forward because we had the gross loud people you just you were, were stampeding through because she's an idiot. She's she's a socialist and she's stupid. Instead of actually saying, no, no, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, respectfully, I disagree. Here's an actual policy position that um, I think would be a great alternative to what you're saying. Um, I went on a little bit of a rant there because that just fires me up a little bit to see how that's been happening in our movement. And the comments section just reaffirms my own belief that, that is like people don't read past headlines and we need to have a, a freaking national um, citizenship test in order to vote because people are stupid. Uh, but just, oh, it makes me so frustrated. I'm sorry. I went off a little there. John, your thoughts. No, it's it's totally fine. And I, and I very much agree. And, and I think it's ironic for a group of people like uh, ANCAPs and libertarians who believe so much in contracts, in verbal agreements, in society dealing a lot with a lot of the issues that we seem to have this kind of Star Trek data-esque mixed with some, uh, what are they called? Varengi meanness when it <laughs> comes to interacting with people. Like, like we're the, we're the, the worst of data and the worst of the Varengi. Uh, and right. Like as a, as a whole philosophy that bases itself on social interactions being plausible to solve all of our solutions, we don't seem to 
be very aware or sensitive to social interactions and the difference between individuals and how they respond to different forms of interaction. Yup. It just frustrates me, man, because like we, we, we can talk about this and we can be the voices of like real alternative substantive changes and solutions. And then you'll have like 30 people. I don't even know how to identify them. Just 30 individuals within the movement who will just, it, it, it's like we built a beautiful pane of glass and, and we're like, you know what, this beautiful pane of glass where we're building it up because we're, we're trying to, to foster this nice appearance for the storefront that is libertarianism. And we polished the, the glass. We made it so it's nice and transparent. And then you have this, this just core group of people who come through with hammers and they just smash the glass down. And they're like, they're just like the, the antithesis of what we were trying to accomplish. And then they go back to their echo chambers and say, you see that? I owned that lib. And it's like, that's, that's not helpful. But, huh. John, 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 where, where, where are we going in society? It's, it's, it's scary, man. We, we, we're a bunch of head, headline readers and, and people who don't know about civics. Don't know, don't know stuff about civics. It's uh it's a scary world. But uh, with that, John, I wanted to give you the floor so we can conclude this very um eclectic uh, Brian Nichols show, which I, I, I very much like. I like the, the back and forth conversational piece. So uh, with that, John Chang, if you could give us um, some final thoughts for the episode. And, uh, and with it, this is a new thing I've been starting here. Give me a fun, like, kind of a uh, weird, random fact about you. Yeah, uh, so my final thoughts on on kind of the vitriol we see online is that, and again, I'm now going to say this for the third time because, you know, everything comes in threes, is that the Libertarian Party is too small, or Libertarian ideology is too small to not do anything but be perfect, to bat a thousand, to have positive meaningful interactions you know there's only so many out of us out there so even if there are 30 vitriolic democrats and 30 vitriolic republicans they get washed out by the you know 90 percent of the decent people but we can't do that we can't water down our vitriol we can't wash that out and so that means it's on every libertarian-minded person on every lp member to number one wrangle themselves in but also look internally to our own groups and tell people that hey you need to either get in line be a better person or go away because it's just not beneficial what you're doing and and maybe there is a time and there are points where you can be helpful but the way you're doing it is not helpful right now um, so that's that's my final speech, and then um, <laughs> it was a good one, John. Don't worry. Thank you. Uh, and I guess my interesting fact about me is um, I was a rugby player at the University of Arizona for the last five years. So uh, if you can go out and support Arizona rugby, that's awesome. But uh, also, if you can go out and support Major League Rugby, which is the the newest sports organization to hit America, that would great they have eight teams they're all over um rugby's a great sport rugby's a great sport indeed you know i played football uh back when i was uh, a young lad um but rugby was always one of those sports that i got very interested in uh, one of my best friends from high school he actually played so rugby as you're aware i'm sure is not a an ncaa sanctioned sport so you have like clubs on college campuses that play but it's like it's like they're 
NCAA teams, but they're still designated as a club. And he was like on the D1 club level um, for rugby. And like just just watching the the mayhem that ensues in a rugby match. Like I saw this one kid who he got uh, accordioned by a man who was probably about triple his size. And he like broke both his collarbones and like his rib cage just turned into mush. And I'm thinking like, huh, here I am. And at, at that time I was playing football and I was like, Six five, six like three hundred and four pounds ish in that range as a nose tackle. And I'm like, I get to wear padding and helmets, and these guys are going out there with like shorts and a t-shirt. So uh made me feel much, much less of a man. But uh yeah, rugby. It's a heck of a violent sport, man. Yeah, and, it, and it's a great sport. And it's actually not that harmful as compared to football. I mean Really? Um I would think yeah, it, I think it'd be like much a- worse. No, uh, and in fact, that that kid who got accordion that you were talking about, I can tell you right now he was tackling wrong because if he was accordion and, and uh, broke both of his collarbones, that means his head wasn't in the right position. Uh, it's supposed to be behind the person, and uh, he wasn't low enough. He was hitting shoulders instead of hitting soft spots. Um, I, in fact, you know, big guys like you were my favorite to tackle because they couldn't get low. <laughs> I was gonna say the leverage, so, man. That's that was always my killer because so being as tall as I was, I always just use like brute strength. So I'd like bull rash guys and, and just basically mow over guys who were half my size. Um, but then you'd have like these feisty little guys who like they were short and stocky and they would just get right underneath the, sh- the, the shoulder pads in the chest and they'd get you off balance. And you're like, all right, like this is the game we're going to play. All right. So I have to like reposition and, and try to get better in technique. So for guys like you, I hated you when I was playing football. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very alternative um, situation where I am now as a libertarian. I don't hate anybody anymore, unless they're they're evil people and they want to hurt people and take people's stuff. Right, and, there, and there's far and few of those kinds of people in reality. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, John, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, so with that, where can folks go ahead and follow you, not only on uh, on Twitter for otter sucking politics, but also where can folks go ahead and follow the uh, the show? Yeah, so the name of the show, the name of the podcast is Otters Talking Politics, spelled like the animal. Um, you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. I don't think there's a single one we're not on. Uh, you can also find us at otterstalkingpolitics.com. Um, on Twitter, we're at Political Otters. That's the only real social media we have. We have a little bit of a Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash political otters. Uh, not too big. Um I have my own personal Twitter now just because I'm trying to separate the two. So my own personal Twitter is at the Mr. Otter. Um, I'm sure the links will be in the description <laughs> below. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are the major ways. Any podcasting platform, otterstalkingpolitics.com, at Political Otters. Um, I'm always on there. So come talk to me. And and let me just say, as someone who I, I really enjoy listening to, to your show, you and Michaela have very great banter. Um and in, in the one episode that's coming into mind right now was when you were talking about um, Roe versus Wade and and just the the argument that Michaela and she is a wizard like oh my lord she was laying out case law after case law and why like Roe versus Wade is actually um, not like the death knell for for um, for abortion and it was just as a fascinating listen so um, folks really if you're looking for um, some great discussions about philosophy, but also just for a, a, another great podcast to listen to. I cannot strongly recommend enough Otter Talking Politics, and hopefully that royalty endorsement will cover the check I owe um, John from, from him being in the intro. <laughs> but with that, folks, um, if you enjoyed today's show, um, as always, please feel free to, uh, to share the show with your friends and family. 
Um, as always, follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at Liberty. And folks, the only way we keep this kind of content producing on a weekly basis is if you're able to help us out. So with that, please head over to our Patreon again at the uh, B Nichols Liberty. And then if you want to make a one-time PayPal donation, if that's easier, you can go ahead and find me on uh, on PayPal at thebriannicholsshow at gmail.com for that one-time donation. Uh, but with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for joining me today on the, uh, the Brian Nichols Show. Uh, so with that, signing off for John Chang of Otter Sucking Politics. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.